Welcome to Cisco Champions Radio Season 5, Episode 9. Today we're talking about how to get published with Brett Bartow. Our Cisco Champion hosts today are Wendell Odom and Peter Jan Nefkins. As for me, I'm Brett Shore from the Cisco Champions program team, and I'm your moderator today. Uh, Brett B., if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role at Cisco, that would be a great start. Uh, absolutely. Well, I actually don't work for Cisco. I work for Pearson Education. And Pearson is a, uh, a publishing partner with Cisco. We are the official publishing partner of Cisco Press, and we have been for over 20 years now. And uh, I actually started with Cisco Press back in 1997, so I've been there almost the entire time. Um, my current role is as a product line manager with uh, the IT professional group at Pearson. And I am responsible for all of the IT certification, networking, and security lists, in addition to our other publishing alliances with companies like Adobe and Apple and Microsoft. Great, thank you. And now, Wendell, you're, you're a bit of a celebrity here, but for those that don't know you, uh, please just introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you're located, and what you do. Oh, sure. Uh, I work for myself. My name is Wendell. I've, I've written a bunch of books with the Cisco Press brand on the front, so I've worked with Brett Bartow for many years, good friend and colleague, and enjoy working with him. But uh, these days, I, I write for a living, uh, teach classes, and very much enjoy that. But I've had lots of roles over the years, you know, systems engineer, course developer, course instructor, um, network engineer, and those kind of things, but mostly just writing about networking technology these days. Great, thank you. And last but certainly not least, Pirion, who are you, where are you, and what do you do? I'm Pirion Efkens, I'm from the Netherlands. Uh, it's 9 p.m. here at the moment. And I'm working part-time for the national government uh, as a network consultant working on DNA center and automation at the moment. And I'm also part-time working for myself. And I've taken the goal to start writing a book so I'm very anxious to know how to get that published. Fantastic. And uh, thank you for, for joining us. I know that it is, that it is late in, uh, in the Netherlands, so appreciate you, uh, you taking on the role of uh, host today. So uh, why don't we go ahead and get started. And uh, Wendell, I know, and, and Peter Jan, you guys have uh, developed a, a ton of questions for Brett, for Brett B. Uh, why don't we go ahead and get started? Sure, I, I can start off, Peter Jan, and feel free to jump in, and, and we can go back and forth a bit here. We'll work that out. But uh, going from that list that we shared a while ago, uh, Brett B., thanks for joining us. Um, we very much appreciate you taking the time. But just for perspective, you know, say Peter Jan wanted to email you after our podcast to talk about publishing a book. Just, just to give us perspective, how many emails do you get a week that you've got to at least read and think about for a few seconds? Um, because I don't get many because I just sit around writing all day. But how many do you get in a week? Well, I, I guess I'd have to qualify that by asking, uh, do I take the ones that you send me out of there? Because that's <laughs> the number quite a bit. Right. Um, all right. We can do the minus Wendell version. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, you know, I don't even know how to how to estimate that. It, it's a lot, obviously. Um, I mean, that's that's not really uncommon in a lot of jobs these days. I mean, email is a great communication tool, but you can easily become a slave to it. I mean, I could easily spend most of my day just on email, but you realize that uh, that becomes a very reactive way to work, and it doesn't really allow you to be very productive. 
so I try to respond to email on scheduled times, which allows me to dictate my priorities in any given day rather than allowing email messages to dictate where I spend my attention. Um, you know, it's a really hard habit to break, though. I mean, like social media, there's this temptation uh, to just go take a peek and see, you know, well, what, what's come up, uh, you know, since the last time I checked? Is there anything really interesting or urgent in there? Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've had that habit for a long time, as I, I'm sure many people do, of allowing messages to kind of linger in that mailbox until there's thousands of them that, you know, you, you, um, you just are never going to, to hope to, to get through. Uh, so I've gotten better at really archiving and following that that productivity adage of uh, act on it, delegate it, or delete it. Right. So it, but if it's so much email and you're getting lost on it, how would I be able to get your attention? <laughs> well, you you could you could join a, a Cisco Champions um, podcast and you could talk to me directly. That that's one oh, way to right. do it. You could you could always approach me at Cisco Live. I'm there every year. I've been going for over 20 years now. So, um, no, I, I I read every email that comes in. It's just a matter of you know uh, of how you react to it and scheduling it. Um, so when when people do respond on uh, the, uh, the the Cisco Press website where we we have links that say you know if you want to write for us, go ahead and click this link. Um, you know, they do cycle into myself and my editorial team, and uh, we do respond to every inquiry that comes in. Right, okay. but you just get a volume of emails for which it may not be tomorrow <laughs> when the uh, when the reply comes in, right? <laughs> Even if it's from me, I get that. So absolutely. Well, let, let's uh, let me set some context real quick. So we talk about getting published. And say we're sitting here today and say, hey, I'm new to this. I've never been published. So we've got the part where you go from that day until you've contracted to write a book. You know, so I've called Brett. Here's the idea. Let's do a book, et cetera. And then there's from the day that you got the contract signed until you actually produce the book, which is probably volume-wise more of the work. But maybe that first part's more of a mystery. So talking about that second part, you've signed the contract and you want to produce the book, you know, go about writing that. Um, what are the common pitfalls you see for new authors, first time they've written, or if you want to, you know, turn it to a positive spin, what, what do you see in the best authors at their first book, you know, the best first-time authors, what are they doing well that maybe the other ones aren't? Uh, well, that's a great question. I mean, I think uh, the biggest pitfall is that uh, most authors tend to underestimate the amount of time that it takes to write a book. Yeah. It's a very significant commitment, as you can attest to, Wendell, I'm sure. Um, given that it's most often done as a, on a part-time basis, after the full-time job is complete, after the family responsibilities have been met. Uh, so the first thing I think successful authors are able to do is to be disciplined in, in establishing a regular writing time. They, they treat writing the same way they do any other job-related tasks. They carve out consistent time in their schedule to translate their ideas into pages. Uh, most people in a position to write a book have had to juggle multiple responsibilities in the same way at some point, whether they're pursuing an advanced degree, preparing for a certification, for example, participating in a committee or industry standards body, learning a new technology. Yeah. Uh, all of those activities take the same kind of discipline that writing a book takes. And successful authors treat the book writing process with the same degree of commitment. I mean, writing a book typically takes anywhere from six to nine months just to create 
the manuscript. So it's a long-term commitment. The best way to ensure that it's a successful endeavor is to understand how much research you need to do on a given topic, how quickly you're able to generate content, and you can base that on some of the previous experiences that you might have uh, had, whether you're preparing a presentation, whether you're, you're writing a white paper, or any of those kinds of things. Um, and also, you know, another factor that comes into it is you know, how much time do you realistically have to dedicate to the project every week? And once you pull all those factors together, you can come up with a plan that really enables you to build the book on a step-by-step -step basis. And that helps you be, be, um, to avoid becoming overwhelmed by the scope of the project. Um, you know, so carving out the appropriate amount of time on a consistent basis and committing to the process are two of what I think are the most important keys to success. Um, it really helps to, to figure out what works best for you personally from a schedule perspective as well. I mean, consider it the same way you do like exercising. You know, for me personally, if I don't work out first thing in the morning, it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So there's just Sounds too familiar. many things that get in the way of my commitment to exercise as the day goes along. It becomes easier to allow myself to become distracted. And knowing that about myself, it makes it easier for me to commit to getting that exercise routine done first thing in the morning. And it's, it's really the same thing with writing, right? I mean, some people might need to commit to doing it first thing in the morning. Others might end their day with it. Uh, still others might uh, find that, you know, late at night when the family is asleep and that's their time to do it. I mean, you know, some people, they might wake up first thing in the morning. It might take them a few hours and, and several cups of coffee for their brain to start really functioning well. And so the end of the day might be better. So it's really important to, to understand how you work best. Right. Yeah, those are some great thoughts. Peter, John, you got anything you um, want to yeah, tag so, on there? So basically, once you, you get into having that contract phase signed, uh, it's basically a commitment for, for example, just scheduling a single day a week just to do the writing and the research and writing out your manuscript. That's what I understand of it. Almost similar to like a study for a degree, which is also a part-time uh, effort as well next to our family obligations uh, and work. And of course, operational incidents when they occur because they're not planned. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's different for everyone. There's, there's no magic formula that, that says you have to do it this, in this particular way. The important thing is to know, hey, what works for you and to, to figure out a way that, that you can commit to it that, that's going to, you're gonna be able to, to work on it, uh, uh, you know, consistently. You know, some of the other things that are, are really important uh, that I, I find are, are good keys to success for writers when they're first starting, uh, first starting off is, um, you know, to really develop a very detailed outline from the, from the very get-go. I, I get a, a very wide range of, of outlines and proposals, and they can be some, uh, you know, as, as sparse as just a, a chapter-level TOC to a very, very detailed, almost uh, academic-like, you know, presentation. And, you know, from, from my perspective, I, I've always uh, thought that, that really the best way to go about approaching it is to get as detailed as possible in the outline as early as possible. Because you'll go through a feedback process and, and the more information you can put in there, uh, you know, the more information you'll get out of it. Um, and it, it helps you keep track of things. Uh, about where you're going to cover certain topics, so so you don't you know get confused and, and have things being overlapped in different chapters. That's especially important in, in like a co-authored kind of a relationship.
Um, what? You know, the, the other thing you, you really want to be careful about is scope creep. You know, you, and, and I think that's where the detailed outline really comes in handy. You really have to be able to to put a, you know, um, you put brackets around what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, you know, yeah. a lot of these technology books, you know, you can write thousands and thousands of pages. Now, Wendell, I, was that you chuckling when it came uh, <laughs> well, You were looking at me when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Peter John uh, said it that way. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the thing is for me, um, as a first-timer or a possible first-timer, um, would you then recommend a, a small volume like 80 pages or a medium 120, 200 pages or go for the full Monty and a 600 pages book covering a lot? Well, you know, there is there is sort of a, uh, a minimum amount of, of pages that, that we look at to make it viable to, to actually create a, a product in, in print format. And, you know, you really want to, uh, 200 pages is kind of a minimum threshold of what, what we, we would be able to bind and, and put on a, a shelf at a bookstore to make it, uh, you know, viable. So you really want to be looking at something at least that much. I mean, these days, I'm far more interested in publishing books that are two to 400 pages than I am present company of Wendell accepted that are a thousand pages or more um, for, for a whole variety of reasons. And, uh, you know, not the least of which is, you know, time to market is just a constant struggle when you're doing technical publishing. Um, so the, the faster you can get it to market, the longer you can have it on the shelf, the, the more relevant it is uh, given the pace of change of the technology. Well, let me ask you one to get it a little broader on that first part. You know, hey, you know, say it's Peter John, he's got an idea, or anyone that says, I want to write something for a publisher, and we go from there to contract. You know, you've, you've talked it through and have agreed. So what are you thinking about and what are you, when you look at them? Are you thinking more about what's on your roadmap for books you already know you want to write? Or are you paying more attention to the specific book idea somebody brings to you? Is it more about technical skills of the new author or is it more about your perception of their professionalism and dependability? You know, what are the things that rattle around your head when you're looking at a new person? Um. Well, you know, building a publishing roadmap is—it's part data-driven and part intuition. I mean, knowing that a book on a similar topic has sold well, that there is a large pool of certification candidates, for example, like there is for CCNA routing and switching, um, that there's a large job demand for for the knowledge that we're we're trying to to publish on—they all help inform what we should be publishing, but. You know, the other side of that coin is trying to figure out what new technologies will drive demand for learning content. Uh, we, and we try to think in terms of, of multiple formats these days, including video training and live training, not just books anymore. Um, but when new technologies are developed, it can take time for the market to embrace them. Um, you know, Wendell, you and I have been talking for the last couple of years about uh, SDN and network programmability and when's the right time to jump in and, and actually publish something on, on that topic. Uh, so part of building a publishing plan is trying to figure out what the right timing is for publishing on any given topic. I mean, sometimes a topic seems like a no-brainer, but demand for books lags behind expectations, you know. Um, a good example of that is like IPv6. When we started publishing on IPv6 way back in the early 2000s, it seemed like a no-brainer that companies were going to need to move to IPv6 as the pool of unallocated IPv4 addresses, you know, got depleted. 
And we got in front of that curve on IPv6 with our first book. Um, I, I think it was, it was in the early 2000s sometime. Um, but it didn't sell very well. I mean, companies were just really slow uh, to move to IPv6, despite the clear indications that they're going to need to. It took a long time to make that transition. So we kept publishing on the topic. <coughs> And so, so you know, sometimes you, you get out a little too early ahead of that curve. Well, oh, that's, that's and, always uh, the, the the challenge, I believe, is uh, if quite some champions, and at least for me, I'm usually be uh, quite ahead of the curve or a torch carrier, as somebody uh, mentioned that. And then it's always difficult to know when am I going to give this idea to somebody else. That timing is so difficult to maintain. But it could also be an option if it's really a no-brainer like uh, intent-based networking, which is quite hot at the moment, but then taking it into a different approach to really already get the contract and the book ready so that the time to market, when the demand is there, you can immediately publish it because the work is then already done. So you're not going to lag behind. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the, <laughs> there, there is the other side to that, which is, you know, sometimes the opposite of that is true. And getting the first book out to market on a hot technology can, can entrench that book at the top of a bestseller list. I mean, we, we have numerous examples of that throughout Cisco Press history, like the, the very first voice over IP book that we ever did, the first MPLS book. Uh, you know, getting those things out uh, ahead of the curve and being the first one to market can often, you know, uh, really help. Uh, with the success of the book, so it's it's tricky. You know, um, it, we have to evaluate. Uh, you know what we what we see in the labor pool, what we see. In, you know what we see coming from Cisco in terms of, you know how they're presenting uh, technologies and what's on their roadmap. Um, you know, the same for for today. I mean, it, it, topics like programmability, like IoT. We know that these technologies are radically going to reshape the future of networking. Uh, yep. But figuring out what to publish, and more importantly, when to publish it, is the big challenge. If you publish too soon on a topic like SDN, before there are a lot of working deployments, when standards are still evolving so rapidly, you know, you risk not having an audience or being outdated before you get to the shelves. But if you wait yep. too long, and you miss the market altogether. Um, so there's a bit of intuition involved in trying to figure out when the right time is to, to come to market. I, I, so that, that was kind of half of your question, Wendell. I, did you right. want me to talk about the yeah. author talent part of it? Yeah, that? just the, I think that first part of it, say, hey, you know, you know, we've, we've hear things, you know, probably seen things in the movies about people getting novels published, or we've heard about it, and people write entire novels and, you know, then bring them to a publisher and get rejected by 30 publishers before you get a book that uh, published. And it's not that way for nonfiction titles, particularly in IT. But so when you when you're talking to, you know, me twenty years ago or Peter John today, um, you know, what what's your filter? You know, if you say, hey, what do I want to come to the table with when I talk to Brett? Um, you know, what's he looking at? Do you know, if I want to get my skills boned up before I show up to write a book, you know, what you know so who what's that uh, candidate look like when you're sifting through, you know, it's it's back to that whole What's the process like leading up to contract? Who are you looking at? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a really good point because you know this technical publishing is is completely different from the world of fiction or or poetry or any, or anything that that's that's more creative. In, in those situations, you really need to you need to prove to the publisher that you know your idea is 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 viable. Whereas here, it's really the technology that's driving. The, the adoption or the, the, the publishing decision. 
Um, you know, obviously we want authors who have the best technical qualifications. Uh, it's great when we can work with a Cisco fellow like uh, Dino Farinacci on a book on Lisp, uh, which is coming out later this year, by the way. Um, you know, that's the ultimate match when you can get the inventor of a technology to write about it. Uh, that's been uh, Pearson IT Professionals Group formula for success for many years. But most Cisco press books aren't written by luminaries like Dino. Um, there, there are so many talented engineers within the Cisco ecosystem, whether they're working for Cisco or for other companies. We have a broad pool of talent to draw upon um, for, to create our learning content. Uh, so knowing that a prospective author is well-versed in the technology, usually with practical hands-on deployment and troubleshooting experience, that's a good starting point. And from there, it's a matter of evaluating other soft skill factors like communication skills and reliability. Um, you know, what, what authors should come to the table with really is an idea. It's, it's hey, I'm, I, I want to explore publishing on this particular topic. Here's my slant on it. it, it instead of, um, you know, just saying I, I want to publish a book on Lisp, you know, say I want to, you know, publish a high-level overview of this protocol, or I want to publish a, you know, a, a deep uh, deployment and troubleshooting guide. Um, you know, some some angle of of how you intend to approach the subject matter. That's what's important um, to to first approach me. It, it's more important that you you come to a publisher with an idea to to uh, to validate whether it's it's viable uh, before you do an awful lot of work. So usually what I'm looking for with an idea presentation is, um, you know, a, a, a background of, of credentials and how those credentials map to the technology that's involved, and maybe a brief paragraph description of, of what the, the, the topic is and what your particular value proposition is with this particular book. That's really where the conversation starts. How about it, Peter John? Any follow-up there? Or I don't want to hog oh. the uh, questioning. I'm quickly writing about it because I was almost assuming uh, that I needed to do a lot of work to uh, first get started, have my table of contents, some paragraphs, an idea, uh, basically a sort of business plan, and then go to uh, a potential publisher. That's, it's more, it's really more in the preface already that you're going to talk with a publisher instead of doing already quite some work and then say, hey, this is my brilliant idea and this is my type of writing. Uh, can we talk? Yeah, it, it's it's good to have done some legwork uh, ahead of time uh, to to understand well what what the market is, uh, you know, for the technology as a whole. How how is that market growing? What phase is it in? You know, is it in the early adopter phase? Is it in the mature phase? You know, where where does it stand? Um, you know, what what's the projection for growth within that that technology sector? Uh, what what does the demand look like on the labor market side of it? You know, th those are the things that are really going to, to help us understand, you know, what, what the, the potential demand is for the book. So having, you know, coming armed with some of, some of that kind of information is also very useful. Um, but generally, you know, you want, you want to come to a publisher with, with an idea. You can develop a full proposal and present that. There, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. It's, it's the next step in the phase of, um, uh, of product development. Um, you know, once we, we agree that a, a, an idea is, um, is, is interesting enough to explore, to review, 
then a full proposal would need to be developed. And every publisher is going to have a set of proposal guidelines on their website, or you can get them by contacting the editors directly, um, and they would provide that for you. Okay. Yeah, and just from the author perspective on, on that point, Peter John, the even if you said, hey, I can go to meet with Brett or someone like him with the book idea and my credentials and an idea of the marketplace from what you do at work, and that's that's a great place to start the conversation, as Brett just said. But I personally find that until I do a detailed outline, I'm not really sure what the book is because I find that it's almost like if you were writing fiction and developing a character, the character starts to take a life of its own. And once you start thinking more deeply about a character, you might say, oh, they're really like this or that. Well, I, I find the outlines sometimes do that. And it's kind of like what Brett was jokingly saying, scope creep, when he was looking at me over the camera here. Um, it's very easy to get into thinking, hey, the book is this. And you end up 30 degrees off to one other direction by the time you finish the detailed outlining. So um, if you know, talk to people early, uh, talk to people like Brett early, but also I'd say um, it doesn't hurt a bit to uh, mind map or outline uh, the full book to see where it is your head is on the topic before you have that first conversation. Just my two cents on that. Well, I, uh, I fully agree with that. I, I've written now two or three outlines, and the first perspective was really with uh, scope creep, and now I'm taking it into a different approach, to be honest. Huh. Uh, but it's also the way how I write reports or my blogs. I write my headlines, and then I fill in, and that can jump from back and forth to write the content that I want to blog about or the report. So that outline is really key, it, at least for my working. And what I hear from you, Wendell, it's the same. Yeah, definitely. So, Brett, let, let me throw one more out to you here. And uh, you folks in the audience will probably, will probably be running up on a timer. We'll you know, give you an opportunity to jump in and ask some questions if you've been uh, waiting to do that. Um, but let's talk about timeline for a moment. Um, so let's just say um, it's contract day. You know, somebody's called you and they had a great book idea. They're very qualified. You knocked the contract out, and we signed it today. What's a normal timeline like? And include some of the major milestones, like you know, completing the manuscript, the first full writing, and, and those kind of things, just to give us a sense for what a typical book would be. And I'll leave it to you, Brett. You can decide how big a book to use as an example and uh, to the extent <coughs> that impacts a typical timeline. Um, well, you know, as, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're not just book publishers anymore. You right. Know, our, our, our video training and live training formats are growing faster than our print book business. And we've been doing video training for many years now. Um, I actually, actually you, Wendell, you, you did our very first video <laughs> product uh, the, the, on the CCNA, was it, 64802 exam, I believe. Wow, what a memory. So that, so that, goes, that shows you how long we've been doing video. Um, We're ancient, yes. And, uh, you know, so our primary distribution channel for video is Safari Books Online. Uh, and given how much video and live training SBO has these days, you know, I, I wonder when they're actually going to change their name and get rid of the books from that from that moniker. Um, but they're, they're a subscription service that sells mostly B2B in support of uh, corporate employee training, uh, but they, they also support individual subscriptions. Um, and we, we absolutely dominate the top video categories in Safari, and, and we do particularly well with IT certification and programming videos. 
We've been building out our general networking and cybersecurity portfolio videos for a couple of years now. And just last year, Safari introduced live training where instructors are delivering half-day seminars that can span one to four days um, on the, uh, the ON24 webinar platform. We quickly ramped up our live training offerings in the second half of last year, and the response has just been absolutely fantastic. Um, so just to give you a, a sense of what, how, how that business is growing, uh, last year, Safari was our second biggest channel of distribution, and that's for all of Pearson ITP, uh, which, of which Cisco Press is a part. Um, so that, that means they're number two to Amazon. And in the first quarter of this year, it actually eclipsed Amazon print. So the publishing opportunities wow. represented by that channel are, are really significant. That's really um, big. You know, of course, we also sell our video content direct via our websites um, and distribute through third parties. Our direct channel, our direct sales channel is our fourth largest channel. It's more than double what we do through Barnes & Noble, if you mm -hmm. can believe that. You know, that, that's how wow. much the, the publishing landscape has changed these days. So I, I, I don't like to just talk about uh, book publishing anymore, no. and I will get to your, your question about timelines there, but I, wanna, I wanted to kind of put it in that context because the timeline for each of those different uh, formats is quite radically different. Right. Um, so getting back to your question, uh, you know, book publishing is, is the longest timeline. Um, and you know that that if you, once once you're starting from the uh, the contracting uh, phase all the way through the time then that the initial manuscript is is developed, that can range anywhere from about three to twelve months. And there's there's a host of factors that that come into that. Um, you know the length of the book, how many authors are on it, how much research needs to be done, how much time needs can be dedicated to to doing the writing, how fast can content be generated. How much content is available to leverage from from other sources that that, uh, that the author has already developed? So lots of different factors come into that. Uh, not the least of which is is speed to market. You know there there are certain books like yours, Wendell, uh, for the CCNA that we know. Hey, we need to have that book out when the CCNA exam releases. Right. And so that that drives the schedule and and can obviously cause some very late nights for you uh, when when we're in the process of revising this book. Uh, other books aren't aren't as schedule dependent. You know, they they may be a more gen general technology, and there may be more, you know more time to to do it. But but generally speaking, the average is somewhere around six to nine months to actually write the manuscript. Now, once the manuscript is written, it it goes through a development and a technical edit, which has been happening all along as the manuscript's being submitted. But that takes about a month to wrap up uh, that review process. And once that's complete, it then goes into production. All of this gets streamed in during the process. But the, the process to, to complete the illustration, composition, proofreading, all of that, indexing, uh, takes about another two months, and then there's a month for printing. So altogether, you could be looking at anywhere from, on average, um, uh, about 10 months to you know, 13, 14 months to write a book, to produce a book that you have on the shelf. So that's that's one of the big challenges that authors have when you're writing on technology is you, you can't just be thinking about what the state of the technology is today. You have to be thinking about what's it going to be in a year from now. Right. Wow. Makes sense. Now, on the on the video and live training side, those those are much shorter timelines, and and actually they that opens up some doors where you know maybe the 
makes sense to be uh, choosing those formats because they are faster to market, because they, they're more dynamic, they're easier to update than a, than a print book. So a, a typical video, what you have to go through is you have to develop a, a series of slides and scripts uh, to get ready to, to do your video shoot. We do all of our, well, not all of it. When we first started with Wendell, the way we did video was, you know, Wendell sat down in his basement and we got him a copy of Camtasia and he, he got a nice microphone and, and he just did screencasting on Camtasia in his, in his home office. Um, those days are, are, are pretty well gone for us. We do almost all of our video uh, in, in a studio these days. We have studios across the country. We, we actually own a studio in San Francisco, which is where most of the people that do video for us record. Um, and so the, the, uh, uh, the process there is simply to, to develop those slides before the video shoot, which usually takes about three months. The, the shoot itself only takes three to five days. So to actually create the video content, we send the author into the, into the studio for a whole week. They, they do all of the, the creation of the video content. And then it takes anywhere from about 8 to 12 weeks after that to do all the post-production work. Um, one of the great things about the way Pearson does their work uh, these days is not only do you get the higher uh, you know, um, uh, production values from, from being able to work in a studio with, a, with an actual studio manager, uh, but we handle all of the post-production work. So unlike a, like a plural site, for example, that requires the authors to do all their post, uh, Pearson handles all of that for you. So, so that process can take anywhere from uh, four to five months. And live training is, is the shortest of all of those and because there's no production work, obviously. All you're, you're delivering it live. So you know, as soon as you're ready, you deliver it, and it's done. Um, so that, all that uh, is involved is, is in developing the, uh, the, the course, developing the, the slides and, right. and the groups that you're going to use to do that. So that can be anywhere from about two to three months, and you can actually have a product that you're delivering. So, Peter, John, how about it? You want to just do a, a live video course for your book idea instead? <laughs> well, I was uh, thinking of live training, but that means I would have to fly over quite a lot of times probably because it's live. No, oh, it's yeah. all handled online. Ah, shame. Well, it's all done. It's all done basically very similar to what we're doing right now. Ah, I think okay. that was tongue in cheek, Brett. I think Peter John was looking for a way to get to fly over to the states, well, maybe to watch thing. some uh, Dutch baseball players play baseball, huh? Yeah, San, San Francisco sounds nice. So I have a week of studio for uh, a video training. I mean, I've been a speaker at Cisco Live Barcelona talking about uh, software defined networking as well and how to get started. And I, uh, yeah, I was nervous, but I really enjoyed it. And could be a next step as well, or perhaps a combination of book and training and uh, live training. I don't know. I'm going to talk with Brett afterwards. Yes. <laughs> well, well it, you know that that's that's become a factor these days. You know, when it, when a proposal comes in to us, you know, we we don't we we try to think about well, what what's that? That's the very first question we have to ask. What's the best format to deliver this content? Um, so, so that that is something. If you're, you know, if you are thinking about wanting to become published, you know, there are other opportunities than just print these days. Yeah, and, and just just out of curiosity, I mean, I mean, I know you're working for Pearson View, uh, but for some first-time authors, before they really have the contact to prove themselves, uh, how about uh, do-it-yourself publishing on Amazon and Apple? I mean, they they provide the services. You've got these tools like iBooks Author and. I'm using Scrivener, I can just say, okay, publish now on Amazon. 
is that a way to get more um, visibility and therefore more credentials to have a more larger book published? Could that be a strategy for some for somebody? Well, yeah. I, I mean, there are a lot of alternatives these days, right? Um, I, I personally don't advocate people self-publishing because that's that's what the business that I'm in. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> uh, I think I think publishers still have a lot of value to add. Uh, not the least of which is the, the credibility that it brings to publish under a brand like Cisco Press. You know, you, you, yeah. that there's there's something to be said for um, uh, helping you stand out by by being associated with a publisher who's who's got a, an editorial staff that that's that's evaluating the market and, and deciding, you know, what uh, what is worth publishing, um, as opposed to. You know the, the the biggest drawback of self-publishing, of course, is you're you're it's it's just like publishing on the internet, right? You can put whatever you want out there. There's no guarantee anybody's going to see it or find it or read it, right? You're yes. you're and even if they do, you know how how do they know you know you're you're a credible authority? So that there's there's that's one aspect of it, but there's a host of of things that that publishers bring to the table, both on an editorial and marketing uh, standpoint. That you're not going to get from from a self-publishing experience, and I and I'm speaking as a self-published author. I actually did publish a book <laughs> of, of poetry many years ago. Um, it is available on Amazon. I, I think I've, I've I've sold about five copies. Um, no, that 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 can be a, a viable alternative for people. I mean, you have to you have to explore it. Um, obviously, the big benefit is you're you're going to to be able to recoup and keep a, a much higher percentage of the revenue that comes in. Um, but uh, you know, th there's cost for for every uh, stage that you you have to go through, which it is uh, kind of chip chips away at that at the margins that you make there. Um, but you know, we we provide so many uh, so many uh, services like developmental review. Uh, technical review, uh, 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 vetting of your your proposal through through peer review, uh, formatting, illustration, indexing, composition, permissions. We we handle all the permissions. Uh, accessibility. You know those those are things you're not going to get from CreateSpace. Um, and you know the more importantly is you know we we actually provide access to channels that that you know if you if you choose a, a, a company like Amazon to, to self publish on you, you're you're Somewhat limited, and in, in, it's a it's a great big channel. It's still a big channel, but it's only one channel. As I mentioned, you know, we we've got you know, Safari has become one of our biggest channels. Uh, our direct sales is one of our biggest channels. We have access to corporate and academic sales. So there's a lot that you you uh, you miss out on in volume um, that, uh, that that you can make up for. And that's not, we haven't even touched on any of the marketing efforts that. Um, that under uh, that we undergo uh, driving sales through social media, through Cisco channels, through coupon promotions, um, uh, outreach to our four million registered users on our website. Um, you know, all, all of these kinds of things. Okay, we won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, it is possible for. I mean, Wendell is of course an ex quite a clear exception. Uh, but it's possible for non-Cisco employees to get published on the Cisco press then. Once you've yeah. validated and you have the contract, because it was a little bit uh, doubtful in December when I had a WebEx on it, so that was one of my questions as well. It's quite clear that it's possible. Uh, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? 
so it's possible for non-Cisco employees to, to get a, a publishing contract with Cisco Press? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Wendell is, is our, our, our prime example of that. <laughs> or fortunately, not... So he was, he was a Cisco account. employee at one point, so, you know... <laughs> Right, but that that yeah, wasn't that's... considered. Right, it happened after I'd started writing the books. But uh, yeah, it, let me give just a, a quick two cents on the uh, self-publishing thing. To me, a dividing line is it's worth talking to a publisher about a book idea if, for no other reason, you get a sense for whether they think it's financially viable to do it. Say if I wanted to write a book about something and Brett is telling me, you know, Wendell, it just doesn't make sense from a profit and loss perspective, I may still want to write it. I think self-publishing is a great venue for that, or I'm getting started and I can't get any traction with the publisher about that idea. Great venue. But if I want to have a book that goes far and gets noticed and is read by as many people as possible, uh, there's no way I'm going to get there without the professionals doing the other 20 things that's necessary to make a book successful. I'm doing one, they're doing the other 20. So for, for me, that's kind of the dividing line when I think about it. And, I, and I've looked yeah. at it a few times over the years for those books that are like, you know, I really want to write that, but I know it's not, you know, it's going to sell 1,000 copies ever. You know, is it worth writing? Not financially, but maybe it is for interest, you know. So, um, Peter John, should we should we kick it out to the audience? Uh, I, I see one question in chat that I'll throw out and maybe give others a chance to pipe in. So I'm going to ask the one from uh, from Tim in the chat to you, Brett, and then uh, you guys. Once uh, Brett's finished with this one, if you want to, I guess our process is to unmute and throw out your question verbally or chat it if you'd like, and I'll uh, one of us will read it out. But yeah. Brett from uh, Tim Harmon. Tim says he's got a blog series on cybersecurity, Capture the Flags, and he says he doesn't see any books about that, um, and uh, he would want to take his blog series and create a book from that. So um, have you seen that be successful, or how would, what advice would you give to Tim about taking a blog series and, and pulling that out to a book? Um, it, it's certainly a, a starting point, uh, you know, because it, it helps you, I think, get a sense of uh, of what the interest might be in in the topic. You can you can you know get a lot of feedback on what you're writing there, um, and and it could be a starting point. Um, obviously, we we're not in the business of just repackaging things that are generally available for free online. So there, there's a you know there's a, a dividing line there where you've got to be able to uh, add unique value that that wouldn't necessarily be be able to be found online. So again, as a starting point, it's certainly uh, a, a great place to start. Uh, but uh, you would have to be you know obviously fleshed out in a, in a much different way to, and, and include content that wasn't freely available. All right, great. Thank you for that. So. Um, Opening the floor a bit. So, anyone out there have a specific question? If not, I have others to ask, and I'm sure Peter John does. But any of the rest of the audience want to pop in for a question while we have time? All right, Peter John, you want to go next, or I'll go next. You pick. Yeah, well, I think Brett is very clear about uh, has been very clear about the process, and I'm really enthusiastic about it. And well, um, my my brain is tumbling full of ideas on how to approach him and bring the idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, maybe that's the uh, follow-up conference call or uh, yeah, Cisco Champions Radio. We have what Peter John did three months ago after the call. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things I'm wondering about, uh, Brett, perhaps you could elaborate, or Wendell, uh, is, is there a preferred tool to write your manuscript? Because I've looked around, I prefer Scrivener because it helps me organizing it. But uh, is, is there, from a publisher perspective, a requirement for a specific tool? I mean, personally, I hate words, but probably somebody else doesn't. Uh, we 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 do all our manuscript development in in Microsoft Word. Um, okay. It, it's just and and one of the reasons that we use it is because we we have to be able to, um, you know, circulate it around to numerous people, and it has good um, uh, commenting and uh, you know uh, track changes features in it that that make it easy to to do the the technical review and author review. Um, obviously, we've developed a whole set of, uh, of formatting templates around Word that, that enable us to uh, to uh, pour the the, uh, the Word document into our composition programs more easily. Um, so, yeah, from a from a, a submission standpoint, it, it would be Word. Okay. Yeah, from a uh, outlining though. Yeah, from an outlining perspective, I personally am a big fan of mind mapping tools because at that stage you're you're wanting to be creative and to move topics around, and some some topic areas more naturally flow in one order, and others you can rearrange the order significantly. And mind maps let you do the mechanics of reordering very quickly, so that you can keep your brain on the creative process. And once you've got a solid outline down, then maybe I move it to an outline form in Word, so I start flushing out some text and figures within the outline. But I generally start with mind maps, um, you know, and have a map of the big ideas and then more detailed and probably spend, like, say on a book that's going to end up, all right, I'll be honest, a book that's going to end up 800 or 1,000 pages, I'll probably end up with 20 or 25 mind maps just to fit it all um, before I then go off to start writing. And that process probably takes a cumulative week of effort to get that done. Um, we did have a, a chat mess or excuse me chat question show up Brett this is from Matt um, Matt was asking um, how do you typically find technical reviewers are they employees of the publisher or are they employees of the vendor or do you just take anyone from the community uh, so that's a good question we, we we find them in a lot of ways in the same way that we we find our authors uh, they, they are not employees of the publisher we're looking for subject matter experts in this case and so they uh, they need to be well versed in whatever technology or certification that, that we happen to be publishing on. Um, many times they'll they'll come at the, the uh, re reference of the author. Um, you know, I always like to approach the authors first and and uh, and see if there's somebody that they uh, have a particular rapport with that they would like to work with on a, on a given project. Um, many times we'll have to go out and find them on our own. Uh, we can do that through uh, the, the normal means of locating people. Sometimes people will come to us. Sometimes we'll go out and, and proactively find them, uh, whether it's uh, just by monitoring blogs or whether it's by uh, seeing who's doing a, you know, a presentation at live on a given topic, uh, you know, seeing who's written before. Uh, lots of different ways that you can you can go about finding them, but um, but if your interest is is in uh, you know 
becoming a technical reviewer. You know, it is a, it is a paid service, and uh, and we we are always in need of, of technical reviewers, and uh, it it's actually can be a way to kind of get a foothold without doing a you know a commitment of actually developing content on your own. Uh, and also a way to make a little bit of extra money. So, uh, you know, doing it, doing outreach to a publisher through their website or at a conference uh, or direct in some way, um, you, you usually will get put in a pool of, of reviewers that uh, the editorial team will, will when they have a, a particular need. So, uh, Brett, um, a lot of Cisco Press books are written with co-authors. Um, what are the, um, the benefits or the drawbacks uh, on working in a team with creative people on a technology? Is it shortening the timeline? Is it extending the timeline because you need to have collaboration with the, between the authors and probably there needs to be some chemistry as well? Yeah, that, that's a great question um, because there, there's, there's pros and cons of both. Um, and, and it's something that you should really consider uh, very carefully. I mean, author teams can be great. Uh, but there's some definite drawbacks. I mean, there there are some books that I doubt would ever get written unless they were developed with a team-based approach. Uh, so it's it's definitely viable. Uh, there's just some pitfalls to watch out for. I mean, on the pro side, the number one benefit uh, to teaming up with a colleague uh, to write a book or produce a video is that you split up the workload. You can theoretically produce the material faster, get it to market quicker with much less effort. Um, one instance where it really makes sense to team up with someone is if you're weaker in a certain area of coverage and know someone that has the knowledge that you need. It's great when you can find that kind of synergy with a co-author. Uh, that can make the book more authoritative and, and can save a ton of research time. Uh, one of the other benefits is that you get uh, more direct feedback on the content as you're writing it. You know, a co-author can quickly become a peer reviewer for your work, and it's someone that's invested in the outcome of the book, so they're, they're motivated to help you when you stall on any given section. You know, it's great to have that kind of built-in feedback loop so you don't feel like you're writing in a vacuum. Um, yeah. You know, you do get feedback as part of the editing process, but the, the official publisher review only comes after you've submitted a chapter, whereas a co-author can be a source of instant feedback, whether you just need to clarify a point with them or need them to read a section and offer their comments. You know, co-author is another avenue for promoting the book once it's complete as well. And, and they, they might have more experience or greater name recognition that can help the book sell. Uh, so there's, there's a number of benefits to working with co-authors. Um, the biggest downside is the other side of the collaboration coin. You, you know, you're now tying your success to another person who you do not have direct control over. Uh, you know, on paper, it can cut your work in half. If you wind up with an unreliable co-author, you may wind up taking on more work than you plan. Uh, it can be frustrating to be delayed in your schedule because someone else isn't living up to their commitments. Um, if you're going to team up with someone, I'd recommend that it be someone that you're familiar with in some way and have a great degree of trust in their ability to deliver on deadlines. Um, the other potential downside, I'm sorry, go ahead, Peter. Yeah, the other downside I was thinking of, or, or, or complex, uh, something making it more complex with multiple author, authors, is the, the writing style. Everybody yeah. has their unique writing style, and a book needs to be consistent. You don't want to have really can, that you can see that chapter one has been written by me, and chapter two has been written by one of the co authors, for example. I was just going to say that. that. That's probably the second biggest drawback. Although, 
you know, as, as a publisher, we help out with that. that. That's one of the main roles of the development editor is to make sure that, that any book that's written, you know, by multiple authors has a consistent voice from chapter to chapter. Um, and two authors, generally, that's not that big a problem. But it's, it's when you get into four or more that that can become a real challenge, especially if one of those authors is not a, a native English speaker, uh, for example. Um, you know, that, that can, that, that, that the voice can become a bigger issue. The more people you have involved, the bigger that issue is. Um, but again, that's one of the things that, as a publisher, will help you out with. Um, you know, another thing is, is just consistency. You know, so things like pedagogical elements, for example. Um, you know, you, you, it's really important that you, you have really good communication as a team up front about how, the, how each chapter is going to be organized. And usually the way that works is as a, on a co-author basis, uh, people take whole chapters of content. They don't, they don't tend to, to co-write chapters or split up chapters. It's most often one author will take one chapter, another author will take another chapter. And so if you don't, if there's not a lot of good communication up front, you can wind up with one author writing chapter-ending review questions to end a chapter and another author just writing a summary. And, and so, you know, that, that can cause problems as well. So I think we're getting toward the end of our time. If any of you on the call had other questions you wanted to ask, it's time to pipe in. But, uh, Brett, just, if somebody wanted to contact you or others at Pearson, or uh, do you have any uh, suggestions or what's the best approach to go about getting in touch? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know if, if uh, we distribute uh, contact information to attendees. Um, you know, that's fine with me if we do. Otherwise, they can go right to ciscopress.com and they can click on the Write For Us link, and that, that does filter back into my editorial team. And so we, we, will, we will respond to that um, as a way to, um, to contact us. All right, great. great, thanks. Looks like we have another question on there from Ben. Yeah, yeah. Um, from Ben's story, you see it there, Brett. So for the certification books, do the authors write the practice exams? Hey, you want me to answer that one? <laughs> why, not? why don't you take that one? Sometimes. <laughs> In all seriousness, I believe it's a uh, the model is it depends. So, Brett, I will let you answer further for a uh, serious answer on that. Yeah, I, I mean, it, oftentimes it, it, I always offer it to to uh, authors, uh, and I'd say about the majority of the time, maybe it's sixty forty. Authors don't want to do it; uh, they'd rather have somebody else do it. And and our second. Uh, you know, step would be to, to approach the technical reviewers of the book because they've already read the content and they're very familiar with it. Um, but there, there are other times when we still need other people to write questions. And we need, we need question writers not just for practice tests that go in certification books, but we develop uh, courseware, for example, and some of that courseware needs questions developed for it. Um, we, we do question development for a, a number of different things, for like our videos, for example. Um, I'm working with Kevin Wallace right now on the Network Plus video. He's got questions that go in a practice test. He's also got end of module questions within his video that need to be written. Um, and he's not doing any of them, so they get contracted out to, to third parties. Uh, so that, that's another way to kind of get your feet wet in this process, is uh, instead of biting off a whole book, you can, you can contribute in other ways like that. Great, thanks. So, Brett Shore, I think we're kind of winding down. Uh, Peter, John, I think you, so too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to ask any further questions myself. I'll leave it to you two if you have others. 
Pure yawn, anything before we close out? No, not, no, no. I'm really satisfied and satisfied, sorry. And and happy actually, and, and excited to be honest. Perfect, perfect. So we'll go well, ahead and oh, uh, end, end this okay. uh, this episode. So this has been episode nine of Cisco Champions Radio, season five. Uh, I want to thank all of you for joining us today, especially Brett B for sharing his insight, and to Wendell and Peter Yon for hosting today's session and having a, a ton of great questions. Um, as always, thank you to everyone for joining and participating in Cisco Champions Radio. Look for this episode and other awesome episodes on blogs.cisco.com/perspectives. And I'm Brett Shore, today's moderator. Tune in next week. And in the meantime, we'll see you in the Twitterverse at Cisco Champions. And until next time, thanks again, over and out.